Hello, welcome to MoveTube. Today we will be talking about the career of Germaine Dulac, a French filmmaker who operated mainly in the 1920s and 30s. 20s, yeah, 30s. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk about her silent films. Uh, we're we're going to jump between... Um, I mean, we haven't seen her whole the whole Oof. trajectory of her career. We're going to jump between what we feel, what we sense are the most important works of her career. Um, the Seashell and the Clergyman is probably her most well-known film, which is um, 1928, I believe. And um, there are a few shorter experimental films made around that era. Arabesques and Disque 957. Disque, maybe? Disque. Disque. Um, maybe. Disque, Square HMV, um, and um, and one other one themes and variations, variations is 1928, yeah, exactly. Um, and then we're also, but we're going to talk about an earlier one from 1973, The the Smiling Madame Boudet, or actually, The Smile of Madame Boudet. Oh, right, it says here Um, The Smiling, that's incorrect, 1922. I mean, let's 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 start with that because Germaine Dulac is a you know, she's a pretty pivotal, in some sense, influential figure. Um, slightly maligned figure in French avant-garde. Um, because she's like not the, sufficiently... I'm featured. not making an Idpol point. There's a sense in which she anticipated certain developments in avant-garde filmmaking in Europe and experimental filmmaking in Europe. I mean, she, she for, in a lot of ways... You know, someone like Jean Vigo was considered a, a you know protege of hers. Um, so you know, do they know each other? Yeah, yeah, they knew each other. He, yeah. he sort of, as it were, trained under him, or was influenced by under her, and was influenced by her. Mm-hmm. And you know, obviously, when you look at the trajectory of nineteen twenties, nineteen thirties, as it were, experimental avant-garde French film or European, mm-hmm. the European kind of art film, you think of people like Jean Vigo as being very much sui generis and kind of appearing and. You know, maybe Jean Epstein as it's well. It's true. That's very much how, how Vigo is referred to. Yeah, because, he, first because he came and went so quickly, I suppose. Yeah, but w- whereas someone like Germaine Dulat, um, you know, is an interesting figure because she she was the progenitor of a lot of this. She, you know, she founded a production company. Um, she she was a film critic or theorist and, and wrote for magazines at times. So she was very actively involved in like theorizing and mapping out the the terrain of what uh filmmaking could be in the 20s and this is after obviously like the you know france was the ground zero of um the silent film yeah right you know in a lot of ways with pathé and melier and all these kind of production companies at the turn of the century Mm -hmm. the the you know the kind of incidental film or the event film or the the kind of uh the display film, all these kind of things that happened. With I suppose cinema began with Lumiere as well. That's, that's almost obvious. Well, Lumiere, Lumiere are really funny because they get, didn't give a shit about film. You know, mm-hmm. they were, it's really funny that they publicly decried the future of film. There's like, really, nothing as here. As an industry, or as they an said they as, a, as an art form. They said there's actually nothing here, but they that's why they were just train spotters. They were basically train spotters and worker <laughs> worker surveillance, and then they <laughs> they decried the like possibility of a future of art filmmaking and decided to dedicate themselves to making film stock and cameras which is the biggest legacy like they were industrialists right, first and foremost right, but right, right. um so every video they did was just like a, a kind of youtube like uh, camera camera pretty test. much yeah, yeah, yeah they're like you know if they're reviewing like, <laughs> this the piece of kit yeah lovely <laughs> um can you just get out of the factory yeah good. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Nice, nice nice but yeah as you mentioned that it's really interesting uh, she kind of straddled like what you would broadly consider to be or was considered to be the impressionistic film mm-hmm into what was later considered the, I suppose, sort of avant-garde or experimental film. 
overlapping in a way with such figures as Fernand Leger or mm-hmm. Anne Ray or Kersenoff, all these kind of Hans Richter, all these figures mm-hmm. who were circulate, circling the drain of avant-garde and experimental filmmaking. What, what René Clair as well. René Clair, yeah, with more narrative kind of musical mm-hmm. cinema. But even when he did Entre Act, which mm-hmm. was his sort of Dadaist work, yeah. which, is quite, which is not dissimilar from... They were all doing it. And that's the interesting thing because they were all like... I, I guess the short, the brevity and the excitement of the technology because it was so new mm. uh, was really interesting to them. And what I, I think there's something interesting about her because she does straddle this bridge between impressionistic film and which is a more, I suppose, non, non-narrative ambient filmmaking style that borrows elements from maybe surrealism or Dadaism, but is, is more in hoc to narrative filmmaking. Um, that was what she began with in a film like um, uh, The Smile, Smile of Madame du Boudet from 1922 feels more conventional yeah. in a way, even though it has striking moments. Mm-hmm. But then it's with the arrival of, say, the clergyman in the seashell that you yeah. see this really distinctively surreal, I suppose I mean that with a capital S, surreal, you know, cinematic voice, and then creates a series of, like in the late 1920s, of, of, of films that feel similar to the films that Man Ray was making or Hans Richter was making. Mm. But actually, I think, as we'll discuss, no doubt, stand apart from those films in really interesting ways and were maybe more theorized i think than those works she had a more cogent and comprehensive view of what um a film could be or an experimental film could be but this was your like this was your suggestion i think to do Dula. it was actually a suggestion of friend of the pod nicholas Paneski, ah. who, who may well be listening um no, who, who who was uh yeah curious to for us all to watch these these films and talk about them. But uh, yes, so I mean, it's almost like her career was sort of the inverse of Vigo's in a certain sense, yeah. because Vigo starts with um, uh, Apropos de Nice. Well, there's that film about the swimmer, isn't there? And then there's Apropos de Nice. Yeah, which a documentary are, about an Olympic which, swimmer, which is interesting. Yeah. But. Uh, the one about Nice is a sort of, is a nice like, uh, toy box of of effects and, and it's and, really a city symphony and, and yeah so uh, it's exactly yeah. it's a it's a city symphony, um and then obviously he goes he does zero de conduit which is, um, which is a narrative character piece, with but with a lot of flair a lot of unusual setups amazing set use pieces. of slow motion which might, i wonder if he borrowed his we, use of slow absolutely motion absolutely he from did we'll get to that in a moment yeah, yeah. um i was just going to make that point um but oh, yes sorry. but yes he he goes into uh into la Talente, which ultimately again has its flourishes but is, is a more is a more just human-centered drama a very oh. compelling and beautiful one um, it's a sense of yeah a sentimental film really exactly and and, and uh, in a good sense but um yeah. I think what you have with the smile of the smiling Madame Bidet, B- B- Bidet, Bidet, <laughs> the smiling Madame um, Bidet, yes, uh, is is this sort of um, a, a bit of a clunky sort of one of those sort of clunky silent dramas where everything is told through sort of um, uh, uh, sort of express you know big, big uh, over the top expressions yes, well it's, it's it's very um yeah, it's yeah. like pure manifestation or reification of Chekhov's gun almost literally right. it's like yeah, this is a, a significant yeah, symbolically yeah. charged thing like mm. in so the story with that is sorry to cut you off 
the, the story with that is that there is an unhappy housewife, Madame Boudet, who has a bit of an odious like bourgeois husband mm-hmm. who she clearly despises. And she's very much like he goes out to, wants to go and see Faust and he wants to go and party and drink champagne. And she kind of he is really hand. demonized in this film. He, he is, is made to look like a, a proper pig. Um, yeah, but I don't think he is in a way. I think there's an ambiguity around him. Um, but what happens is that he has this little really funny little bit he does where he has a gun in his desk drawer and he pretends to like kill himself all the time as a little joke. When he joke. wants to get his way. Like, when he wants to get his way. If you don't do this, I'm going to blow my brains myself, out. Which is actually really funny. Um, but he has this... Um, and a lot of the narrative is about her building dissatisfaction and unease with him to the point where in a moment of desperation, she actually loads the gun with a bullet, which mm-hmm. is very literally Chekhov's gun. And there's a lot of angst about eventually he's going to pull this trick again mm-hmm. and pull the trigger, expecting there not to be a bullet and blow his brains out. And that's mm-hmm. kind of the story. But so she sort of put him on death row, essentially. Effectively. And she's agonized by this. She's having huge remorse. And I, mm. I feel I wanted to re-soundtrack it with... Um, Rihanna's man down. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> I just shot a man. Down. I just shot my husband down. Could have been somebody. In son. the eighteenth um, arrondissement. Yeah, because because um, it was really hamming up this yeah, sort was. of sense of uh, yeah. the grief of a, of a woman scorned, the sort mm. of preemptive grief in this case. Um, but yeah, it's a cartoonish film. It's a it's a cartoonish film in somewhat in the um, in the mold of. Uh, some of Murnau's work. I mean, but it's a bit Murnau, a bit Pabstie. I, I say this as a as a. I love Murn. I love the Last Laugh. I, you know, I think. Um, I, I think it's a it's a pretty crude version of something that that has been done very well in the silent era. So yeah. I didn't I didn't love it, but I um, uh, I didn't really like it. But I no. it were <laughs> there were touches. What I like there were compositions that I thought were beautiful. There was some amazing use of 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 depth and chiaroscuro and shadow to highlight particular gestures. So a hand holding a theatre ticket, um, hands playing a piano that was superimposed with hands that were clapping. Um, the often there'd be parts of a body that would be uh, lit and say the head and um, upper shoulders and neck wouldn't be lit so you'd get this kind of disembodied figure. Those elements kind of pulled out of this relatively ordinary narrative that felt like a von Stromberg film or something. Uh, these quite unusual compositions and bodies and figures. Um, and there's also a couple, almost like this nightmarish dream sequence about, I guess, like two-thirds of the way through the film where we see the husband kind of burst into the house, the mm. window, and it's shot Oh, God, that is pretty haunting. Slow motion, which is something mm. we'll talk about in a bit. So, yeah, it's a relatively norm- normative film that ends with a kind of happy ending. and Well, not really a happy ending. It's kind of ambiguous. Like, he, he shoots the gun at her in the end. He turns the gun on her but misses, realizes that the, there was a bullet in it and they've, like, she's had a narrow, like, shave with death. And then we see them kind of, you know, he's comforting her and she doesn't seem that happy because she's like, oh, maybe it would have been better if he just blown his head off. And then they kind of just wander off into the streets, don't they? It's like, so it's like enormously inconclusive and dissatisfying mm. for the viewer, given all the build up. Um, it's not Jean Dillman. No, no. Right? That's the kind of the implication. And, not, and we don't, we're not uh, saying this as sort of um, uh, auto uh, misandrists. Um, <laughs> far from it. <laughs> never. Uh, never, never that. But um, but uh, it just does narratively just lacks, um, which is a shame because clearly the skill is there technically formally, um, and and in in a seashell and the clergyman, which is uh, I think she does make a couple other sort of forty minute. I mean all these films we're talking about are 
well, these two films we're talking about, Susan Encouragement, and but some of her others are made around this time are basically under an hour, just over an hour. Um, she sh- she shows extraordinary um, visual ambition in mm. the Susan Encouragement, which can you give us a brief summary of like what the hell this film is about? So this clergyman, um, Rav, so so my poor. Yeah, um basically clergyman in the seashell is about basically the most down bad um clergyman uh, it's yeah. ever walked the planet the earth, including uh, you know, vast swathes of the papacy. Um, who are down bad for children down bad for children Sadly. you know we should celebrate this film this is a priest who's actually lost after a fully grown woman yeah, yeah, um, yeah. what this film is about it's a step in the right direction it's a step in the direction definitely um, not towards the, the choir but towards the pulpit <laughs> um, what this film is really about it's a hallucinatory elliptical visually very arresting film of moments of, of composed uh, I suppose symbols mm-hmm it's really a symbolist film in a lot of ways. Uh, it it was based on a script written by Artaud, um, which kind of lends it maybe its kind of uh, disorienting and very poetic edge. It's the the actual narrative really is about a priest. It's not so much a narrative as a situation. A priest who lusts after the wife of a general, mm-hmm. and much of the film is about him agonizing from afar about this beautiful woman who's with this kind of, again, big frog-like, you know, there's a lot of projection here with Dulat's filmmaking, this kind of frog-like institutional figure of the general. And actually the general and the wife seem very much in love. So he's really this like cucked figure who um, is kind of odious and he's got this like wispy hair and he's like a really little weedy man. Mm. And the general's like a big beefy... Crawls across the street for her at times. He literally crawls across the street. But a lot is, you know, there's there's very little in the film that could be considered... Um, subtle. Uh, I was going to say subtle. I, I would say realistic or realist in a yeah, lot yeah. of ways. Like it's not a realist no film. Naturalism. Naturalism. Yeah, it's not a naturalistic film. It's it's very much like a sort of symbolically charged film. Um, so shown through repeating, uh, overlapping, uh, and self-referential motifs like the smashing of glass, the making of an elixir, um, liquids being poured, the seashell that turns that becomes this kind of literal vessel in the film. And again, it, it takes some of the best elements from the smile of Manon Boudet um, and really like, basically turns up to 11 and the film entirely centers and gravitates around these like strange, unsettling, uh, disorienting sequences. Slow motion is used in a really big way in this film. It's used a little bit in the Smile mm. of Manon Boudet, but it's used to real horror effects. It's an amazing, it begins real darkness. We see the general kind of climbing through this window, grinning, and kind of charging toward the priest. Yeah, I mean, while the priest is smashing this big pile of like uh, glass, glass test tubes, glass, glass test tubes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it really does have the um, the disorienting, um, uncanny uh, qualities of of a of a very bad dream. And I yeah. I think there's something um, something about mise en scène here, and something about That's a French word. Uh, it means putting it in the frame. It means uh, sorry, we've gone a bit Kermode Mayo here. Was what was I? I didn't do French. You should say what that is it? <laughs> well, why is it called tar? <laughs> you know, that's very confusing. That's like that's something you know that you put in petrol cars, yeah. isn't it? Tar. Um, 
but yeah, so. no, it is. She she has, I suppose, and it maybe just comes from her enthusiasm about abstraction in film because right. she does. And the evidence for this claim is that she makes uh, several films around this era, like Arabesques and Disc Nine Five Seven, that dwell a lot in this Fernand Leisure, Leisure Man Ray. Um, Hans Richter style, um, although not as extreme as Richter, but you know she does work with um, uh, depicting depicting natural phenomena with the, with a closeness or 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 a, or a fineness as to make it abstract. You have reflections, the shining of light against reflections, um, or the broken glass, uh, or the overlay of images, as you know, as creating a, a, enough of a um, uh, of an overwhelm visually as, as to become a, a kind of glorious abstraction. We're then pulling it back into something. I mean, it's it, the film is at its most successful when it has these very, these unusually... Um, I mean, the film is basically at its most successful when it's most experimental. Yeah. But it, 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 particularly in these sequences like the smashing of the glass and the, and the general sort of hovering, sort of floating through the world in this slow motion, this very uncanny... Fil- silent film era slow motion which as you as you said earlier zero de conduit by vigo in the in the early 30s with the pillow fight um, that the pillow moves fight slow motion creates this i don't think i've really seen anything shot on digital mm. uh in slow motion mode that quite has this very strange uh walking through treacle style yeah it's not slowness. quite slow because often with slow motion in a digital film or a prestige film is used to accentuate the a dramatic point so there's something's happening that someone's pulling a gun or someone's just been shot whereas here there's nothing exactly that is being highlighted it's the actual moment itself the the actual motion that's being slowed down rather than a dramatic it's it's serving nothing else than the sense of the uncanny um which is what makes it so arresting so actually when i was watching this film and you're a few minutes in and then you suddenly see and you see stuff that kind of feels really familiar to Murnau or pabst and you're like mm-hmm. oh okay like there's a there's a sort of guy pondering his orb in a dark room okay <laughs> but then you see this man climb through this window slowly approaching in through treacle and it's so weird it's so as it were in a kind of shlovskian sense or brechtian sense very defi- defamiliarizing mm-hmm. um really like not it seems not like what it is yeah exactly so there's a real sense of like visual uh, playfulness and i think there's even a sense you could argue this is actually quite anachronistic like i think in a way this is like a good seven or eight years after a lot of this early like this had been done so in a way i think she's almost paying homage to a particular typology of specifically german filmmaking um you know so there's an element of kind of nostalgism about what she's showing um there's also some kind of visual trick and the reason i'm going to reinforce that is because there's some amazing moments of visual trickery uh, at the end of the film uh, the priest drinks this kind of elixir which i could only assume is like a love potion or something and when the priest drinks this elixir his own head is reflected in the black liquid and you see him almost kind of drink his own head and it's obviously done in a slightly um janky way because uh, you know she's work you know Dula is working with quite quite crude tools to achieve a really sophisticated effect um but it made me think of Melier mm. you know Melier one of Melier's great early uh spectacle films was you know a wizard who cuts his head off and juggles with his own head and i think there's these references to the origins of french filmmaking um 
that she's deploying and maybe French and German filmmaking that she's using. Um, so I feel like this film is, as much as it is like very forward looking and avant-garde is also quite a, I think it's kind of referencing its antecedents in a way. So it's, it's a film, I mean, the interesting thing about, um, <clears throat> I think anyway, about an, a film made in the early period of cinema, apart from many other things, um, is, is that it is, uh, it's just bringing us that much closer to things that, to a culture that existed before cinema existed. So, you yeah. know, if, if a film, you know, if, if a film in the 1950s is harking back to sentiments of the 1920s, mm. we have our bearings because films were also made in the 1920s. Yeah. But if a film in the 1920s is harking back to, you know, the late, Turn of the century, late nineteenth century. Then, yeah. um, you know, then then uh, we 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 that opens up a a, part, a a a view into something. I think it's a really exciting realization when you think you know there's a tendency to collapse all early filmmaking and all silent filmmaking into this kind of gelatinous lump, and actually you realize there's a a lot of a lot happens in 10 15 20 years mm. you know between say 1914 and the student of prague through to the 1920s and early 1930s and then you've got the arrival of the talkie like actually loads cinematically happens and technologically happens in that mm -hmm. period so it's kind of an interesting thought experiment to think about how how is this filmmaker relating to what's come before them and what will come after them and i think there's yeah, I, I, it feels much more exciting to think about silent film as, as a kind of referential thing. And they were all talking to each other. There weren't that many people yeah, who owned yeah. film cameras. Like, you know, saying Jean Vigo being a kind of protege of hers. Like, you know, she she would have gone to these screenings and she would have met all these people, you know, Fernand Leger and Man Ray and all these people. There's no doubt she hung out with them. Um, you know, so it, it wasn't so much people in a vacuum. Whereas, you know, later in life, you can say, you know, you know there's no way that Parajanov met uh stan brackage or you know tarkovsky did of course tarkovsky did didn't like his films. <laughs> um, but you know but, yeah, there, it's course, a much yeah, yeah. smaller it's a smaller world. world especially and they're all in, they're all french these people all these people are french but mostly, um yeah. but yeah the, i i think there is there's several different things going on in these films uh, and i think especially in seashell and the clergyman um you know the presence of psychoanalysis the presence of of symbolism of maybe Jungian or, or Freudian. Can I tell you something? Can I, it's really, so basically, the this is kind of a funny aside, but so the Dada, so Tristan Zara and this bunch were really, because they were so in hock, they loved Freud, they mm -hmm. loved the id, they really wanted to like create a dialogue with Freud, but Freud was so disinterested in them. Right. And found it all a little bit horrifying mm -hmm. in a way so i think i think tristan Sar hung out with freud for an afternoon and it's like they they had a really like bad day who was tristan Sar? he was like one of the leading figures in the in the, in the dadaist movement basically so um i was involved with like you know in vienna and then paris and was this very mercurial figure um but yeah i think that there was no no kind of love lost as it were between right, right. freud and the so people freud who did, unlike uh, contemporary theoretical figures like uh, Donna Haraway or whatever. Mm. He didn't uh, feel the need to concede any ground. He didn't the, fuck with it and he was an old man. To the the point, artist's you know. uh, musings. Yeah, it make, makes sense. Um, he was not going in for elder abuse. Um, um, but yeah, no, so I mean, yeah, it's, it's interesting. So, so you've got psychoanalysis in the water, you've got Dadaism, the, the ability to collage. Um, I mean, a so the, the film that um, that comes to mind uh, strongly around this era by Dulac is um, themes and variations. Yeah, 
which is a film that constantly juxtaposes basically two different subject matters machinery and um and the dancing um and in this sense it's it's pretty pretty similar to um ballet mechanique um by leisure um it has a sort of um it has to me almost a didactic um Mm. The energy of juxtaposing these two things feels a machine and a dancer. A machine a and a dancer. Thing. I mean, I'm not saying it's saying oh, aren't dancers like machines because like ballet dancers because they've been trained so much or whatever. But like, it it's it loses this. To me, the beauty of a juxtaposition is not being able to collide two ideas. I find this kind of boring because I I I I, know I can I can understand. I can think for myself. I can put two ideas together myself. He can. I can. I can test him. <laughs> but the the poetic potential mm. of putting together juxtaposing things in a way that doesn't necessarily tell me why these things relate, but allows me to feel their relation in mm. in in a kind of ineffable catharsis. Um, that is is extraordinarily meaningful, and that's something Dulac's uh, Dulac. A, uh, achieves much more strongly in arabesques, which it's is something she lacks up here. Dulac she do lack. She do lacks. She do do. She do be lacking. Do she do be lacking? And it's a germane point um, to make. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, which because in in arabesques, you know, um, I'm just going to skip to it. We have a VLC playlist, um, which is sort of uh, yeah. Obviously, we paid for all these films yeah. using uh, legitimate streaming <laughs> yeah. services. Actually, no. The thing is, you're you're mentioning ballet mechanic, and I think there's there's a, an overarching. So what? How do you like? Because she the thing is, I mentioned that she she theorized her filmmaking and thought it through in a way that maybe uh, the the pure imagists of and the rhythmicists of uh, like Leger and Man Ray didn't necessarily think about. Um, and so her her approach to her filmmaking in this period, in mm -hmm. this kind of more experimental period, this textural period, was to a thing she called the integral film. And she very you know much said that she through the kind of um, uh, sliding slamming together of two juxtaposing ideas she wanted mm. to kind of explore a kind of rhythmic it was like a rhythmic exploration of two motifs this is something she said in her theory yeah so she right, called it the yeah, integral yeah. film so these films these later films in late 1920s form part of her integral filmmaking period but yeah there's this, and this difference sense from, of, from leisure well i think with leisure like there's a i was when i in like the group chat i said you know the thing that leisure man ray and, and hans richter or not actually not hans richter maybe so much um were doing was they were really interested in what the camera could do as a technological device. Okay. And I think what um, uh, Dulat is really interested in is what the eye can do and the kind of associations an eye can make. And it's maybe not as present in in in, in arabesques. It's maybe it's, sorry in um, themes and variations. It's maybe more more obvious in arabesques, which is a film that explores uh, motifs related to nature, growth. Um, kind of flicker effects it's a much more ambiently pastoral film in a lot of ways yeah i mean it may be it's very different from he's like that's what happens if we put a camera on a pendulum what mm. happens if we film something through a refracting glass what happens if we do this so their mm. their film is really a toolbox of experimental devices that are strung together it's amazingly influential ballet mechanic mm. but it is like not cogent as a film whereas at least themes and variations is very like I said, Ron Seal does exactly what it says on the tin, but it's a very cogent mm -hmm. 
um, a proof of concept about what film can do to co- co- like to collide to vis- visually distinct but overlapping. Yeah, ideas. but you just end up feeling like it's a bit hammered home. It is. It will last Whereas uh, Arabesque, I appreciate what you're saying about it being a pastoral. I mean, I guess it does basically. I guess everything in well, you do have this sort of disco ball thing. I mean, uh, Arabesques is is to me whether by accident through accident or design right like a very beautiful um collage like a very beautiful it, it reminds me the most of like tarkovsky's mirror or something in Ooh, the, okay in that it um it just it it glides between images that share a momentum doesn't it remind you more of like uh brackage's anticipation of the night it does yeah yeah, yeah, yeah it reminds me it distinct, reminds me yeah. the most of 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 like the brackage that feels least sort of um uh, conceptually more yeah yeah like uh, early brackage when like, he was like yeah. when he was like really mentally in the trunk of himself. but yeah exactly like, yeah. is that is, is anticipation early yeah, yeah brackage is, is yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah anticipation I is always forget early. how early all the brackage films are like I forget because they're all colour I think they're all like they're not all colour no I know the but this film is a white. lot of the early ones are colour yeah like, like he, he started shooting forget that they were, really early I forget that they yeah. were all in the 50s but yeah like, exactly so anticipation of the night which is a stunning film um, and it, that's based on a poem and that has like Clearly has ideas behind, like, you know, momentous ideas behind it, but it manages to avoid some of the sort of strange sort of adolescent dog, dogmatism of his his own writing mm-hmm. um, yeah. about film and just has this extraordinary momentum between images of different content of different, you know. I mean, as I mentioned at night, you know, you have this uh, you have camera movement that, contrast you have sort of a shot that sort of seems to be swinging like a door then you have a shot that's going past a landscape on a, on a car or a train very quickly and mm. you have still shots or you have reflections got carousel, carousel night, exactly children that, playing exactly there are all these like mo- like these these different but similar motions being constantly put beside each other um yeah I feel this. I feel this. The, the, the Dulac has exactly the same eye, and in a way, you know, I'm not really one for firsts, but mm. fine. You know, Dulac did this first. He did this for 20 years, 30 years before Brackage was doing films like this. You know, uh, she made arabesques, and it, it's it's this, it's, this it's is worth pointing out. I mean, this is this is a you know when we're talking to Eugene on our episode about 30 cinema, there is a really good book about um about this in a way or this 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 kind of silencing in a way there's a a a book called the first american avant-garde which is about precisely about experimental filmmaking in the united states in the 19 you know late teens 20s Mm -hmm. 30s um which uh in later accounts by like p adam sydney and so on would be ignored like he'd say that you know american avant-garde filmmaking began with mayor duren in 1942 or 43 um, this is game. so much more exciting to me than Duran. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Duran's is really interesting, obviously, but it's a film like Meshes of the Afternoon. After you've seen a lot of like experimental film, actually begins to seem really uh, kind of corny and annoying. Yeah. Um, still a good film. Still but. a good film, but there's like a sense that you know, thirty, twenty, thirty years before um, Mayor Duran was doing that, there were people like Dula who were making and in America there are loads of you know really interesting filmmakers as well but there there was a a preliminary avant-garde that preceded all of this um and Dulat is definitely one of those and I think there's like you know I mentioned this 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 kind of pastoral quality to a lot of these Mm -hmm. films you know she brings in she so something that happens in themes and variations is the machine and the dancer is slightly replaced by images of nature and 
and there's a kind of a dialect dialectical filmmaking in a way it kind of resolves itself into nature mm. and growth and buds and that's something that arabesques has um and i also can't remember if that's something that disc 957 has or 597 has because that's much more a musical film that i was it like chopin it was or based something on a chopin piece although yeah. i don't think it's meant to be scored to chopin it. and screwed Shops and Shop, shop and screwed. <laughs> <laughs> um it's kind of it's a very observational piece because it's revolved yeah. around playing a record. Again, these are sort of like such nineteen you know, it's like, it's like classic nineteen twenties moments. You're like, I can play a record. This is something that, you know, is uh I don't know when people started buying records, but yeah. It was uh Should I just make up a date? Yeah, I don't know, right? It's like new in the 1920s. No, no, records were like when you first got like the, the gramophone and you got these gramophone, gramophone shit. It, there were various ways, like the Edisonian one. I think yeah. like late 1800s, you could start buying like okay, right. like little records. You could. Play I mean, them. I still find it pretty amazing watching. I, mean, I find it more insane than the fact that we're recording this onto like a Zoom recorder. There's no magic and beauty in digital yeah, technology. Yeah. Like uh, vinyl is extraordinary. There's this tiny needle is picking out tiny vibrations, it and, no it, and it can make actual like it doesn't make sense music well. sound. Well, the, okay. So the weird the, the thing about a lot of filmmaking in the 20s that's like experimental filmmaking is that. It is really, whether you're looking at Russia or France or Germany or America, there are certain motifs that come up all the time and they are machines, gears, levers, re re uh, revolutions, by which I mean a literal, like a disc turning or something, yeah. or um, combustion and steam power. So there's all these things and so many filmmakers come back and back to them because it was like their milieu that they were reflecting back. This was exciting shit. Mm -hmm. Uh, Man cinema, with camera. Man with move camera. Like cinema is inherently tied up with modernity. Is that's why I've, I've always said personally that mm -hmm. film is the only modern art form. Yeah. All other art forms precede it. Um, everything else is ancient. You've got ancient art forms, and it's actually what Dulac called the seventh art, mm -hmm. which is film. It is a inherent. Did she coin that phrase? She didn't. It was a group of okay. people around okay. her, but that was what they referred to it right, as right, the seventh right, art. That was when it emerged. It's, uh, and, and it's it's true. It's like it's the only modern, and it will be the last modern art form. Mm -hmm. It's the only like art form like modern man will ever has ever created and will ever create. I believe. What are the other art forms supposed to? It? There are none. Everything is just a reimagination. Like doing shit VR. Doing VR, which is just film. It's like by the yeah, means. Yeah, you know, there's, there's, it's the only one we'll ever create, which is you know the 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 burning of light and shadow onto celluloid fundamentally, which is like the only thing. You know, our only real creative act as um, modern humanity, right? But true, they were obsessed with fucking machines. And you know, you look at Vertov or Dozhenko or anyone. Um, after you strip away all the melodrama, uh, you have you're left with these like these mechanical and physical figurative processes, which is something that mm -hmm. Dulat embodies really well. Um, you know, there are exceptions, I suppose, because, you know, Jean Epstein was never really interested. He was more interested in magic and, and uh, nature, but certainly for the experimental filmmakers, they just loved shit. They loved gear. They loved, like, technology. Devices. I mean, this is what, so, that, yeah, this is, I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I always think of, like, trains uh, as... Uh, this is autistic radio not, station. Not so <laughs> I, think I love of, trains. I think of trains. <laughs> <laughs> I think of... Um, yeah, not yeah. to go uh, Francis Bourgeois or, or, or well, Jeff yeah, Marshall, yeah, yeah. I would, I would say. Oh well, deep cuts. Um, but you know, the first, ma the first major film made was a film of a train, and and the, the action of the train, uh, the film going across the spool, 
uh, is, is is similar to the train. Well, film the, reel is like a train track. Exactly, and yeah. the view from a train is a bit like a God, screen. God, that's such like a kind of Hal Foster, um, Hitoshdel episode, like <laughs> article, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it really is. But, you know, these, these the, I mean, this is a concept, yeah, uh, uh, to me, like a really obvious conceptual link that, um, mm. uh, that, 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 that I enjoy because... Um, yeah. Because it, it it it's an inspiring it's an inspiring link. It grounds cinema in the modern, um, and 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 also tracking shots are yeah. still. I don't think anyone's really improved on the tracking shot as like a, it, it just to me it's like um, I was really disappointed in Berlin that there weren't that many tracking shots. It's weird in the because film, like the new films that we saw because it is it, the tracking shot is it is the most uncanny, the most beautifully uncanny form of movement. We are we are moving forward in a more at a more steady rhythm than we feel when we're walking. But our eye is tethered. But our eye point. is tethered to a point exactly. Yeah. Um. And 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 this is extraordinary. And it is and that is like a train. But but that static mo- movement of of wheels on straight track, um, is is is, is that's the industrial well, revolution. You know, it is, that, and it's yeah. actually something that like. Yeah, there was very little of it at Berlin. It's funny because like, I was even watching like um, uh, Akio Josiji yesterday, and like a film like Mandala, uh, Mandala, which is actually really uneven and slightly annoying film. But there's some incredible use of tracking shots, like almost too much. There's almost too much amazing tracking in it. Or well, it's a bit of, uh, that film. I only watched half an hour, of it, but it seemed like a, a triumph of style over substance that was nevertheless was. triumphantly stylistic. It, it is, yeah, I so, said, you know, you put it as like a Pinterest board of, of kind of blocking and it is it's an exercise. And if you want some great ideas of what you can do expressionistically with blocking, mm. it's a great film to watch. Um, but, you know, or your Polais or maybe your, you know, Godard or there's so or many. René as well. René, you know. Beautifully understood. The tracking shot as a vector for memory, as a yeah. way to feel how we how we feel things because it's it's um, it's familiar but also very unnatural exactly the tracking shot and i think that's what's so powerful about it and it's funny that you don't see it because i guess things like the gimbal have overtaken true and, and people simplistically dgi are responsible for those, those cunts of dgi we, we need to then somebody needs to sued for aesthetic crime <laughs> oh, no, wait, sorry, um, uh, far too far. um yeah um, no i think i think yeah i think there's something it, it people assume that the over the shoulder rig or the gimbal or whatever it's is, coverage, is a sort it? of yeah like, is a kind yeah. of is a is like because it's more naturalistic is a sort of solution that the idea that the the track is just a kind of um oversimplified gesture that needs to be improved upon. I guess I, the problem with the track is it the pro- problem with the track I suppose is it's 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 industrially complicated for a modern film crew yeah. to do it when you could well argue that well we have a a Ronin or a gimbal yeah, setup yeah, yeah. or a chest rig, so we can kind of approximate it. But the difference there is like your no matter how good your um your your camera operator is, there's always going to be an element of natural rhythm because it's it's copying the movements of a body rather than of a train. Yeah, and that's what lots of filmmakers um, would probably want. But what's beautiful about the track is that it embraces the naturally the, it embraces the art the natural artificiality natural whatever that embraces yeah, the mean, embraces the uh, the inherent artificiality of this mediation that we're experiencing yeah, yeah and creates a kind of catharsis from it very important one other thing i want to say just about surrealist films um because you know we have uh the, the main reference point main touchstone for this era is um the collaborations of, of brunuel and dali L- large door as i like large to call door. it 
yeah. large door, the golden Shut age. Shut the large door. Yeah. Um, and uh, but, pre- but prior to that, uh, oh, Shion on the loo. On the loo. The dog on the loo. Um, That's literally what it means. Yeah. And, um, and these are films which share this kind of um, flair for visual effects. But I, unfortunately... I I I I do have many good things to say about Machine Lady. I haven't seen it for a while actually, but um, but it doesn't have th- what Seashell and the Clergyman really brings is um is 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 a kind of joyous um uh, the joyous poetry of I mean I made this point earlier, but the joyous poetry of images colliding with other images, and therefore most of the mm. time, although not always. The the it it allows itself to do to simply cut between things mm. or make quite be- like sort of subtly feathered juxtapositions within the frame. I like that phrase. Um, which phrase? Subtly feathered. Yeah, because there's this sort of feathered. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 the also amazing fades. Jermaine Delac does Shit, amazing yeah, talk about. She is genuinely yeah. the goat of fades. She's extraordinary. Fades, you know, I was yeah. saying that when you look at, you're used to the dissolve or the fade in a silent film being like an iris closing very mechanically what she does is she achieves this amazing whether she's using it to achieve a crossfade kind of superimposition or a pure fade to black to leader um there's an amazing subtleness subtleness and and i I hate saying this the other day but i know she's a woman filmmaker whatever but you juxtapose it to the more mechanically minded leger and richter and so on and even alexander hamid there's like a an organic way that she fades that they don't have, so mm. they're very soft and lustrous. These fades, they, yeah, it's like almost like a wave washing up a beach rather than a mechanical uh, Irish shutting. Yeah, I don't know the technicality of all this stuff because I I, I was I was at Othersad Balthazar, um, uh, the Brasson film that's showing at the BFI um recently and and. That film had uh, has an amazing amount of fades actually, and I don't know whether it's the quality of the restoration because sometimes you see films in these era and the fade has this strange quality jankiness. of jankiness. it goes it goes a bit blurry during the fade and then it kind of like jumps a little bit um, in terms of the contrast. I think that's just but like these, the, the the how the film was actually spliced. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe some know. of the restorations they've done recently used negative, and therefore they're able to just like digitally fade the negative. I mean, that that, yeah. that would seem like a sensible choice, although maybe a controversial one in terms of the sort of ethics of preservation restoration. But, but that is a definitely that's a whole conversation uh, that I want to have. But I don't know enough about no, me film restoration. But like, if anyone's some, listening, yeah, who yeah. Is a, it works in film restoration. <laughs> we, wants to come I on, would talk love about that. to have a guest on actually. Fucking come on, please. maybe because the BFI have a film on film season coming up actually. So it would be really good to talk to someone. We know all all of you cunts at BFI listen to this podcast uh, religiously. True, so, I, I I I echo the. Um, uh, the sentiment, if not the profanity, Owen's <laughs> uh, sentiment. All is really nice. Uh, <laughs> BFI listen to this podcast. If any of you work in film preservation, um, please, all the people at the BFI who are currently pretending to like Rye Lane <laughs> 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 uh, in order to not be fired this year, um, please yeah. please be in touch. Uh, yeah, we, you know, you have our you. you have our uh, council. Um, just tell us your opinions and we'll anonymize them. Um, yeah, no, the, um, 
Yeah, the fade's beautiful. Um, I'm not quite sure why they seem a lot no. more graceful than uh, other than just pure aesthetics. Um, but yeah, they're, they're beautiful. They demonstrate her enormous sort of thirst for collage and juxtaposition. Um, and and as as often the case when we discuss early cinema, or when I say early cinema, I just mean, I guess pre uh, pre nineteen forty, pre post pre Second World War cinema, basically mm. has a all of it has the has, is veering on the edge of of this sort of um, this accidental innovation, you know, uh, this sort of um, just trying things out. Yeah. Um, and it's not until all films. Afterwards, all films basically are are made like Howard Hawks films. Well, a language settles over um, filmmaking because like, the grammar of filmmaking develops, and this is when we see, you know, Dula, Vigo, Epstein, or whoever. Mm. You're seeing a, a language that's still in cuneiform phase, you know. Yeah, and therefore and these these innovations probably, you know, it's probably the more conventional moves felt as innovative as the as the as the strange dissolves because they were mm. literally trying to find a way to use this medium yeah like how do i jump ideas? from one thing to another because this this is obviously a, a subject that consumed a soviet filmmaking through mm. eisenstein dozhenko about the, the, the montage montage and you know for, for eisenstein montage was a technique of colliding two ideas together to as dialectical to generate a new mm-hmm. separate idea and it was mm-hmm. a way of creating momentum which was fundamentally industrial and mechanical yeah. linked to industrial power I think the Whereas use for of Griffiths, it was about parallel parallel editing. It was parallel editing. It was yeah, about yeah. sort of t- m- you know making us feel that we were in two places at once. Yeah, where which maybe Abel Gantz kind of picked up a bit, and Abel mm. Gantz also achieved like a was more of a textural editor, you know, textual textural. So I should say editor. But um, with Dulac, with the fades, like you don't really see fades this smooth, and it is it's a weird thing to kind of and well composed as well. I yeah. feel like the fade became very quickly just became part of cinematic language. It became a transition rather it than a It just became a simple transition itself, rather yeah. than a way f- to give us space with two images together, which is what she does so Yeah, so it's well right. There's always almost like a dwelling. There's a lack of haste with it because like, yeah, the, the montage, what it that is bound up with is like a, a hunger for narrative propulsion, mm-hmm. uh, which is like, you've seen this thing. What hap- Here's another thing. This is how they related to each other which serves narrative first rather than image. Whereas, you know, Dulat is thinking about how these two images are interpolated. And mm-hmm. not only what is the image you're seeing now throwing ahead to the image in front of it, but mm-hmm. what is the image in front throwing back to the image that preceded it? And I think that's uh, maybe an important distinction to make. You know, she, it's not just getting you to z- from A to Z. It's kind of, you're looking at the whole alphabet at the same time. You're looking at the whole film at the same time. So a film like clergyman and the 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 seashell you could kind of watch backwards actually or you could maybe cut it up and watch it a little bit and it would still fundamentally be the same film in a way because it it's it, it's uh oh fuck i'm gonna say it rhizomatic <laughs> it is kind of rhizomatic filmmaking it is pointing out all angles simultaneously and referring mm-hmm. back to itself simultaneously so it's like that's the exciting thing about um certainly about her filmmaking and certainly about where her filmmaking goes after clergyman after 1927 it spends these few years um you know exploring things that feel very unique um and in a way that film feels more competent maybe even than you know even uh, yeah that's what i'm saying is an element of unfairness in a way that something like vigo is so strongly and vigo is obviously insanely good filmmaker incredible Mm. filmmaker but you know, there were other there are other fish in the sea, um, 
in the 20s in France who were making... Yeah, I feel like the romance of Vigo's early death and his kind of... It's the, in many such cases. The, uh, the kind of brevity of his output has perhaps um, elevated him above, um, you know, contemporary figures like Epstein and, and Dulac, who yeah. I think also had loads to say, but maybe had a bit more of a... Um, uh, what's the word? An, alf- an unfiltered output, you know, did some quite conventional stuff along with yeah. the innovative stuff. I don't really know much about her later career. What happened? I don't really know what happened to her after the nineteen, after the late, late nineteen twenties. I guess. Yeah, I guess we just neither of us watched those films. We didn't so, make it that far. Sorry. So that's okay. Um, but that, that, <laughs> I, those, that, that we have not been given to believe that that work is is uh, is as significant. So. But see. this this is a real like who knows maybe in a year's time we'll be doing part two of Shemaine de Lac. Part two. I mean, there's a real like there's a gr- this is what we there's a great evening to be had with like um, maybe certainly with like um, uh, the clergyman and seashell and these three kind of textural uh, integral films and maybe smart of Madame Boudet. Like there's you've got a couple of hours of film. None of them are extraordinarily long. Um, yeah, clergyman's forty two minutes or so. Um, you know, none of them are longer than forty-five minutes. The, the 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 kind of experimental films are like four, seven minutes long. Exactly, they're so much fun. Uh, someone should really do a screening of just like an evening screening of like, um, of these close-up cinema. Totally, and I'm surprised that Seashell and Clergyman didn't, um, given the 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 sort of uh, uh, s- at times insincere. Um, uh, lust for uh, you know gender equality in, in the in the canon. It is surprising that uh, Germain Dulac's outstanding yeah, work weird, hasn't actually, been championed. Because when you when you when you actually this is one of the, the the shallownesses of this. When you actually search Dulac Dulac's filmmaking, you get a lot like of um, unexpected outlets talking about her. Like you know, if you search Germain Dulac, you get a piece in another talking about Germain Dulac. So it's because kind of, of the imagery, because of the, the imagery, and I guess because of her her. Um, status as I guess like a latter day kind of queer filmmaker. Um, it's just amazing these superimpositions. There, we're sorry, and we've got also, it right now. It looks we're sorry, we just got a bit of Seashell Clergyman just on on screen right here, uh, where he's like holding this this um. What is this in his hands? It's like an island made like out an of glass. Island made out of glass that's like floating yeah. in his hands. And I think this is the thing. There are so many films of the silent era that do superimposition in a clunky way mm. that. Maybe at the time people were kind of like jumping out of their seats that like something that wasn't there was made to be there. But like a lot of the time, unfortunately, and this is also true of the Shin on the Lou, like when you have like a hard cut between two things that are meant to be sort of here's some insects, here's a, yeah, exactly. a woman's breast. Exactly, yeah. 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 Um sometimes these things just ultimately haven't a tech on a technical level just haven't really aged that well. I don't want to be um you know, uh, I think they were always messy in a way. Whereas you look yeah. at the the use of superimposition in Dulat, and it's so most subtle. of the time, about eighty percent of the time. I mean, sometimes she does just do a clunky thing because it's hard badly. to do. It's like it hard do. you're doing this physically with literal celluloid in a dark room and trying to make these two images coexist together on a same this, the same plane. Like that is insanely hard. But at um, her best, she does it. At her best, she manages it because she's not going for similitude she's not trying to make it actually look like this has happened yeah yeah she's, she's already trying to create up. an image that's just remarkable and that's what she yeah. achieves with these kind of these quivering reflections and juxtapositions mm. um th- and these overlays that she does she's she's going for something that isn't 
it, it's al- always already uncanny. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and she's able to refine the image enough to achieve that. Um, but anyway. It's, it's funny, it's, you know, in a way it's funny you say that because it, there's a... <sighs> I think people had got hot to it by now because remember like cinema audiences in the 20s, this was cheap entertainment. Maybe they weren't necessarily watching Dulap, but I think so, things like technologies like superimposition by 1927, people had were like superimposition natives by this point. Mm-hmm. You know, say if you're like a 15-year-old kid or 12-year-old kid or even 18-year-old, you've been going to the cinema your whole life. Mm-hmm. You know, f- uh, you know, maybe multiple times a day or uh, certainly once a week. Um, uh, you know, Parthay houses in you know in the, the provinces of of, of France um, or Paris. Like you, you're aware of all this shit. You've actually seen it all. It's like mm. it's not new to you. So I think the actual idea of shock fades quite quickly because people normalize to new technologies very quickly. Mm. Um, you're looking at like the gen people watching Ula are actually like the Gen Z TikTok generation of film. <laughs> They're not like Gen X on listservs or millennials on Facebook and MySpace. They're like it's actually a you know quite a savvy film savvy generation. True. God, I that's feel so anachronistic. I feel dirty. I f- no, it, it was a bit dirty, but um, mm. I, I feel like we've lost touch with it. We, we've become more naive to it than people who were around when it came out. I mean, yeah. And I, I felt this when I revisited, La, well, when I visited uh, Gans's La Rue recently. You know, the, the, the kind of techniques that were being deployed by filmmakers of the 1920s, yeah. the good ones, uh, far more innovative and exciting. Uh, and energizing as a filmmaker to watch than uh, literally anything being made now. Yeah, if I'm you're going to, to cinema in like, if you're going to the cinema in the 20s or 30s, you're on a weekly basis being exposed to an insane amount of sublime beauty and inventiveness in a way that you're just not. Mm. And maybe that's normal for the first few decades of a medium. New art form, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. But I still think that, yeah, there is a, the, the, there's an un, unjustified conservatism that's taken over in, in the past, uh, past few decades. Nevertheless, mm. um, Jermaine Delac's films are available to watch on YouTube for the most part. Maybe yeah. U- Uru Web. Um, Uru. Uru. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Uru Web, of course. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and yeah, yeah. Uh, we, they're definitely worth checking out. Um, and um, should we do some? Yeah, they are. Should we, should we do some housekeeping? So we are uh, obviously hot off the heels of Berlin. This is our first post-Berlin, post-Berlin pod. pod. Uh, we're feeling a little bit rattled by life, but we're on the upswing. Um, what we do have in store, in a very bigger sense, is that we've got uh, some upcoming stuff. We at some point soon we'll have our Husha Shen mega episode. This has been much threatened. It's much threatened, and it will fucking happen uh, when Century there of Sadness comes out on Blu-ray on the on the resto. We will buy it and we will watch it and we will record our bumper fucking episode of Husha Shen. City of Sadness. City of Sadness. Yeah. Sorry, um, Century of Sadness. Um, triangle of sadness. Triangle of badness. Um, so there will be that. We have some coverage that is going to come out at some point about some films from Kinoteca. Polish Film Festival, which is ongoing at the moment. Um, yes, check it out. Um, there's plenty to entertain yourself with. I think there's like tickets all over London, basically. I'm We're, we're certainly going to be at um, Riverside Studios on the 24th and 25th for a couple of screenings. I'm doing some Godard, and then we're going to go hard on... We're going to go hard for Skolomowski. Yeah, we will do a um, Skolomowski episode. So yeah, yeah. 
we'll do a kind of keynote. We'll do a um a little review of some of the newer films in the Kinoteca. Yeah. Um, uh, so that you can uh, you know hear about these films ahead of their releases. Release or distribution. Some, some of them, some of them probably will get re- some sort of distribution. Well, fucking Born Home, which we will UK. talk about, has has got a UK distributor now. So that's, has that's it now? yeah, oh, okay, yeah. great. Um, um, so I also want to say yeah, that that's going to happen. So we'll be reviewing fucking Born Home. We'll be reviewing il- what's the other one called? Shreds. We'll Illusion. Shreds and Illusion and Treads. Um, Threads, it's second Threads. second Polish film called Illusion. I think it's Zanuski. The, the film. I think it's Zanuski. Yeah. Oh no, that's Illumination. Sorry, my oh, apologies. Oh, I the same. Um, <laughs> words. Films. Uh, words. 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 Adieu to language. And I will also say on a bit of personal news mm-hmm. that um, I soon have a an, uh, chapter in a book coming out, uh, which is being released through Vanguard Editions, Very good. which is called Hinge of a Metaphor, uh, which is a going to be an insanely dense good book um, about film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a chapter in there on Jean Daniel Paulet. Very good. And he's so someone you're quickly becoming a, a world. Expert I'm like on the only scholar. only person that's interested in Jean Daniel Paulet. Um, but there is a there's a, an article in there about Jean Daniel Paulet and his use of mirrors mm-hmm. um, and his 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 figurative use of mirrors. So yeah, that's going to come Don't out in April. Reflect on there. That's, that's so funny, man. Um, Seven years of bad luck for you. Very good. Um, <laughs> very good. Um, we uh, we will be um, um, yeah. We should say also. I mean, Owen has a blog, uh, awful.substack.com. Yeah, um, awful screen. Fre- frequently, um, frequently refers to MoveTube. Uh, I often it. backlink. So we should backlink YouTube. to that that very yeah, good. It's blog. probably the probably the internet's greatest source of sued pseudo great theory literature on film. Nice I think amount. so, and it's yeah. a good it's a good plate. You can you can you can keep an eye on that, knowing that um, that Owen will be publishing uh, prominently in the in the in this field of film film studies, film criticism uh, in the coming years. Uh, so it's it's good good to get in on the ground floor. Yeah, with, with invest this, with this. Um, meanwhile, um, <laughs> involve yourself in Dulac in whichever ways you you feel. Don't that be caught lacking. Exactly, um, we'll do and we will, we will, we will be back. We'll, we'll be, be due back. back. We'll be due back. <laughs> we'll be due back very soon. <laughs>